Hey everyone, it's Esther Yunji Kang and Suzy On. Welcome to Shoes Off, a sexy Asians podcast. In this episode, we'll talk to comedian Hari Kondabolu. You might know him from his stand-up on Netflix, Warn Your Relatives. Sometimes people ask me, how come when you do impressions of your parents, you don't use accents? And the answer to that question is fuck you. That's why That's why I don't use accents. Ah, the perfect punchline and response to really any racist question or comment. Yeah, fuck you, racist meme. You know that meme that a Mississippi lawmaker tweeted out? It's, yeah. It was the uh, the one with the Chinese surveillance balloon, mm-hmm. making fun of an Asian accent, replacing all the L's with R's. Stupid. You know, and it sends me back to my childhood when kids would do my parents' accent to me mm. and laugh about it. But, you know... I am guilty, too. Mm. I mean, I would laugh at other accents right, that I right. saw on TV. And, and and part of that is I think that we were just sort of socialized to believe, like, accents are funny mm. for some reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember the sketch comedy show Mad TV? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I actually liked it back then. But, you know, there was a vaguely Asian woman character. Yes. And they said that she wasn't Asian. I think the woman who stars on the show said it wasn't Asian. Mm. But, like, I'm pretty sure it was an yeah. Asian. And her name was Miss Swan. Pardon me. You wouldn't happen to be Miss Swan, would you? Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> okay, so, yes, yes, you're not Miss Swan. And I used to do an impression of her at school and it would it would get big laughs from my friends. And, you know, it was weird because I did not really consider that doing that was all in the same vein as like your friends mocking your parents accent Mm -hmm. or or people making fun of uh, my parents accents. And so it was a strange time. Yeah, I mean, for me, the experience with the accents were always negative. In like, Alabama. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was meant to mock. It was mm. meant to make you feel other. Mm. Like, you know, people that I didn't even know, like running up to me, doing a mock accent, mm. doing um, fake Asian language or something mm. like that. And so, you know, seeing like a depiction like Miss Wan mm-hmm. felt uncomfortable to me when I saw mm. that on, on TV. That makes sense. Sometimes I think about... What would happen if I were to move to another country right now, Mm. start all over, try to make a life there and have people make fun of me for not speaking their language? Well, it's really hard to learn a language, especially when you're older. And Mm. so I just find it so wrong to be mocking people for that. Yeah. Well, you know, we get into all of that with Hari Kondabolu, who has done a deep dive Mm -hmm. into the misuse particularly of the Indian accent in entertainment. Um, then we get we had a little light with his yeah. Mr. Peanut prom look. It was and, pretty sexy. Yeah, it was sexy. <laughs> <laughs> and how Margaret Cho paved the way for his comedy career. That's coming up after the break. Stay with us. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Susie, if we had a nickel for every time we've been asked, where are you from, we could quit our jobs. Yeah, it's such a tired question. Mm -hmm. But you know, our sexy Asian guest today somehow finds a way to make us laugh about it. So I was at this party last week and this guy came up to me and he's like, hey man, where are you from? So I told him, I'm from Queens, New York. 
but wait, but wait. And then he's like, no, I mean, where are you really from? Which for those of you who don't know, that's code for, no, I mean, why aren't you white? Uh, I noticed your skin was a different color than mine. Uh, why? That's Hari Kondabolu. And I have to say, what I love about his stuff is that he's always trying to go after people with more power. Mm-hmm. That's pretty sexy. But he can also make jokes about mangoes and Weezer. <laughs> Hari Kondabolu, welcome to Shoes Off, a Sexy Asians podcast. Well, oh my God, thank you so much for having me. It's, a, it's an honor to be on. Yeah, great to have you. Um, well, one thing we'd like to ask all of our guests, at what point in your life did you think, you know what, I am sexy. I'm a sexy Asian. <laughs> Probably... Age 26. Ah, What was it about 26? 26. Well, one, uh, I was in my mid-20s, so just confidence, I think, increases at a certain point when you're like, even though you're past adolescence in your early 20s, I think that, at least for me, was a period of still a great deal of insecurity and figuring myself out. I grew my hair out at 26 for the first time, and I noticed that I felt more confident with longer hair and that my hair curled, which I didn't know. (laughs) I also noticed for the first time that like women were hitting on me, which had <laughs> never happened. And I had to have it explained to me, like that person's hitting <laughs> on you. I, I was like, oh, we're just having like a nice conversation. And I'm like, that I wasn't used to the dynamic of, oh, all right. <laughs> um, also, you know, I, I think I, I had been able to put a lot of things away, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, when you don't have examples of like what attractive is when you're brown in this country and they're all white, like it's hard to find yourself attractive, not only because like you struggle to see yourself as attractive, but like for other people, like you, you're influenced by the media that you take in, you know, like why is whiteness, you know, seen as more attractive because it's reinforced, you know, over and over and over. And so I think, you know, between, like being able to put some of those things away and just kind of live in my skin. Plus, I think the media is slowly changing. I think that all gave me a, a bit of confidence. Plus, mm. I went to college in Maine. Like that's going to mm. screw with your head. <laughs> like to be, to be told bluntly that you're not attractive. Mm, yeah. In addition to not feel attractive. And, mm. you know, looking back on it now and I think of what was seen as attractive, I'm like, that person wasn't attractive. They're just white. Like yeah. there's that, that there was a confusion there. Like that, whatever whiteness was there, like, you know, blonde hair mm. and whiteness gave them like, Oh, they must be attractive. And you look at right. them now as, as they've aged and it's like, mm-hmm. maybe not. That's not nice. Yeah. That's not nice. <laughs> I mean, but you know, Facebook, Facebook and, and Instagram <laughs> are there for a reason. Yeah. I mean, I was going to ask about not just the lack of representation, but um, just the other end of it where you're you're being bluntly told that, uh, you know, you don't fit the standard of beauty or whatever. And it sounded like that happened when you were in college in Maine. Like what what sort of things were you getting? I mean, just me trying to be confident or joking around about how handsome I am and that being blatantly told you're not mm. you're not cute. Like that's not, you know, it, it's like you. I almost didn't need to hear it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because I, I could see it just by, you know, what was around right. me. And, and and the thing, it's not to say that I don't think brown people couldn't be seen as attractive, but like there are brown people that are light skinned. There are brown people with right. features that are more like European like and mine are not. I'm, I look like a South Indian guy. And so to find that attractive and not just the 
I'm attracted to your mind uh, or I love guys with a sense of humor, but just like physical features being even seen as attractive, mm. not to say that's what you should judge other human beings by solely, but like people are attracted to, you know, people's looks as well, obviously. So I think part of me is like, people have to get used to the idea that that's an attractive face mm-hmm. and that that skin is attractive. Yeah. And those features are attractive. And then, you know, as a person from that community, you have to believe it. And it took a long time to believe it. You talk about the age 26. And is that when Naveen Andrews was on Lost? Oh, God. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know that because I, I had my hair grown. Uh, and so I remember, like, feeling real confident. And I, I remember going to a meet up a, with a friend in Williamsburg and there was this white girl there it was like a group of her friends and she just referred to me as the brown guy from Lost. oh, oh man and I'm like I can't even enjoy this right now <laughs> none of these are serious problems but they kind of reinforce like oh right like people not get to know you as you are there's still a great deal of prejudgment right yeah. so in your stand-up bits you describe yourself as looking like a Muppet getting a PhD and I have to say, that is so clever. How did you come up with that description? That, by the way, was, was that joke was from, I think, 2017. So at that point, I'm 35 and well <laughs> into, you know, who I am. Because I would never have made a joke like that earlier because I was too, either I was going to make fun of myself in a self-deprecatory way to, to ease people, which I did a lot in my right. stand-up, or I was going to avoid it because it, it's just like, I'm I'm trying to be clear about what my point of view is and to belittle myself would be to like take away from that point. And now I'm like, at that point, I'm like, I don't, I really don't give a crap. (laughs) Like, I think it's funny and I have enough stuff in the hour and enough confidence to pull off feeling good about myself and teasing myself. I had an ex-girlfriend who had a niece. She was two by the time we broke up, but like I knew this kid since she was like uh, a baby and the kid really like, liked me, like Mm. was always smiling or (laughs) wanted me to, holder and stuff and i was like can't believe this kid really likes me and my brother's like of course kids like us kids kids have always liked us we look like muppets to them (laughs) and so that's basically the Um, professor thing has been a long-standing like the way i talk and the kind of the 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 way i I hold myself you know well Hari, we do have a picture of you before you were 26 and you seemed pretty confident in this one this is your high school prom picture I, don't know if we can see I was that. not confident. I looked like Mr. <laughs> Peanut. I didn't. I borrowed somebody's cane and top hat. I didn't have that confidence. Oh, yeah. I wore the 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 penguin suit that everybody else was wearing. I didn't want to stand out. I just wanted to make sure I, I looked good in it. And it was it's so funny seeing that picture of me because I look at myself back then. I'm like, I look good. Yeah, I think you look good. I like your short hair. And I hated myself back then. So it's just such a funny, like, awful, like, you can't see it. Mm. You can't see it when Mm. everyone tells you, you know, that doesn't exist. But I'm, like, looking at myself, I'm, like, you know, I I remember just constantly telling myself, I'm so fat. I'm so fat. And, uh, you know, one, there was no, like, the idea of body shaming as a negative thing. Like, that, I had a term and the idea of you know, fat acceptance mm. and loving you. But that was not a, a thing back then. And plus, I look at myself, I'm like, I really wasn't that that big. But like in my head, I certainly was because that's the way I was made to feel, you know, mm. and I, w- I was a, a chubby kid. I mean, this is, is this supposed to be a comedy podcast? Because right now it's just going down <laughs> all sorts of 
sad lanes of my you know. but i mean i think that's a that's a lot of people like you just like there's a lot of people who have to grow into themselves yeah. and i think that's a general thing but if you're also dealing with society's judgments about weight and what is attractive in mm -hmm. terms of race like oh man that will mess with your head and so you know it's weird looking at that picture i'm like i look good man yeah you do you do for sure i was a decade or two like too early like now <laughs> that, that kid in high school now yeah. just a different story um, this is not a comedy podcast, but it is a sexy podcast. You turned, <laughs> you recently turned 40. What would you say your partner finds most sexy about you? Hold on. Josh, <laughs> can you come here for a second? Oh, uh, yeah. Go straight to the source. Yeah. This podcast is a sexy Asian <laughs> podcast, and they asked me, what does your partner find most sexy about you? Put me on the spot. <laughs> they, put, they put me on the spot. <laughs> I mean, I was a fan before we started dating. Right. So I was already attracted to your sense of humor and values. Yeah. Um, and now it's more like the way that you are as a dad. And the answer was face and hair. <laughs> <laughs> the answer you're supposed to give is face and hair. And your amazing, delicious black curly hair. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> Well, I mean, that worked because you guys, you know, out of that, you made a child. <laughs> yes, a beautiful child. You made beautiful. a child, yeah. And um, we're both parents, and uh, we are also raising um, biracial children. Are there any, like, cultural differences you've noticed in the way that you want to raise your son? No, not really. There haven't been. I mean, maybe as he gets older, but I think, you know, like, neither of us are very religious in any traditional sense. Mm -hmm. His heritage is Puerto Rican, Italian, and Indian, and we want him to be able to embrace all those things and have a stake in all those things. We want him to learn other languages. Like, you know, he has a, a South Asian name, which I'm really grateful for. Do you have any challenges in, like, trying to preserve that culture? I mean... Yeah, that is definitely something that we've both talked about, mm. just because, you know, I'm South Indian. We speak Telugu in our part of Southern India, and... Mm. You know, I don't speak it fluently. I, I understand enough, but not enough to really have a complicated conversation or really understand everything that's going on. Yeah. Just in terms of religious ritual, which to me is more cultural than religious. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like this is just part of generations of doing this prayer or reciting these these words or, you know, knowing the procedure of a, of a puja. And these are the steps that you take which things in our particular community have value in terms of cultural and religious rights and stuff like that. Like I've always gotten that from my mom. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so it's like, it basically goes with mom and dad, unless, you know, we get it down to, to pass to him. And even when we're passing information to him, it's like secondhand. So I don't have all the answers. And even my understanding of all these things not only comes from them, but like, the way I was informed as somebody who's not growing up in the culture, right? Mm. It's different when your parent is informing you of something as opposed to everything around you is telling you how this works. Mm. And so, you know, it, it's going to be some skewed version of the thing anyway. But I want him to have uh, like an ownership of all his cultural right. ident identities. And I think that piece of it, like with language and with culture in our part, in, in Andhra Pradesh and Telangana in our part of Southern India is there's a risk of of losing that because you know it kind of goes with with my parents you and your brother kind of give your parents a hard time 
you know, in your stand-up and and um, on your previous podcast. And, you know, your mom also gives you shit about it, too. I love my parents. I don't want to put them through anything else, right? Like, I think about what my mom's been through in this country, right? People saying things like, take that dot off your head. Or, why are you wearing bed sheets out of the house? Or, why don't you shut up and make me food? And this is just stuff me and my brother said to her growing up. Now, can you imagine what she dealt with out of the house? people who didn't love her. For those of you who are groaning right now, my mom approved that joke, so go to hell, all right? My mom specifically told me to tell that joke. She, she told me to. She said, yes, tell them you're a piece of shit. Tell them that. Tell them. Tell them how disappointed you and your brother are. Please tell them that. Now that you've become a parent yourself, what do you understand about your parents that maybe you didn't understand before? How hard it was also when... They're raising an American kid. They're not even from here. So it's like the addition of your first-time parents who have just came to this country not that long ago. And you have this kid while trying to figure out a life here and how to raise this kid safely. And you don't really know what's going on. You're still figuring it out. I mean, it's hard enough for us, you know, as, as adults who grew up here. But the idea of you add those factors in, that's brutal, mm-hmm. you know? So, I, I mean, I'm... I'm much more um, grateful is not the word. I think I'm much more understanding than maybe I was. I feel like, you know, there's there's always a period, at least for a lot of us, where it's like, why did my parents make those choices? And there's a bit of blame and they're like, why am I like this? And, you know, now that I'm a parent, I look back at the bigger picture and I'm like, this is really hard. Like he's my kids, too. And it's hard. Like, imagine that for two decades plus. I mean, this is hard. And especially you add those you know extra factors in it's like they're they're doing the same thing i'm doing with with more weight right, right. you know so I, I wish i had sympathized with them more mm. when i was younger but i don't maybe i just couldn't have after the break hari kondabolu explains why he doesn't see himself as a political comic and why mocking immigrants accents just isn't that funny stick around Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. So you started comedy as a teenager. How did you decide to get into it, and, and what did your parents think of that? I mean, I don't think I'm, at the time my parents cared that much because it was high school, and, mm-hmm. and, and I think they assumed it was a phase until my 20s, and then they started getting nervous. <laughs> um, you know, for me, I saw Margaret Cho do stand-up, and I always mm-hmm. liked making people laugh, and I liked the idea of comedy, and I'd seen comedy. But when I saw Margaret Cho do it, I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I, I, I got to do stand-up, because she she almost gave me the permission to. Like, this is a person who is not Indian-American, mm-hmm. but it's the closest we had. It was like a Korean-American person talking about her immigrant parents, talking about not being white in a, in a, in a country that values whiteness and not being black so you're this kind of in between minority and where do you fit into that and it was for me it was like it was a revelation to see here when I was like 13 14 15 you know and 
I was lucky because they kept replaying that that leather bodysuit special she had in HBO mm-hmm. on Comedy Central when Comedy Central didn't have that much programming. I had a terrible racial incident happened recently in uh, Manhattan, of all places. I w- it was with a friend of mine, Japanese comic named Kevin Kataoka, a really great guy, and we're walking down the street, and a group of teenagers ran up to us and started screaming, fucking chinos ruin everything! And uh, we weren't really upset at first because we weren't sure whether they were talking about us or the pants. <laughs> Because they could be either really racist or really fashion conscious, you know. <laughs> you don't know. I saw that special so many times. And each time it just made me feel stronger. And my parents, like, loved her. And it was, like, this thing oh. that united us, too. Like, wow, that's um, great. Keep in mind, it was a heavily censored special. So <laughs> there's also that. But that gave me such confidence that mm. if she can do it, then I can stand up there and talk about the things I care about and they're valued and I can make people laugh too. And so I loved comedy. I'd seen comedy. Maybe I can do stand up. She gave me that kind of permission. So your parents enjoyed Margaret Cho. What did your parents think of your comedy at first? Did, Did it take some time for them to find you funny? My comedy at first was like really hacky. And I don't know if they found me funny or not, but it was a lot of like, corny stereotypical punchlines about Indian people (laughs) you know I was doing the voice like I was 17 Mm -hmm. you know what I mean like I just wasn't conscious enough to be able to understand these things and I think they thought I was funny enough I don't yeah I don't think it really hit them and and to be honest I listened to those old tapes and I'm like wasn't all that funny like (laughs) people are laughing you know people laugh when you're the only show in town you know (laughs) when you're in high school and college the bar is different but I'm happy now that my mom loves my stand-up. She's proud of it. Mm. She loves my Netflix special, which she watches still all the time. Um, she just thinks it's the best thing I've done, and she has no notes for it. She, she always <laughs> no has notes. notes, but she had no notes. It was like, it is so well done, and she's so proud of it, and just how smart it is and all that. You know, my And she's honest. She's like, I understand probably like 80% of what you're saying, and I find half of it funny. <laughs> and she's proud of me. She's like, mm. the things you talk about are important. And that's amazing. That's an amazing feeling, you know, because initially a lot of what she said is, what well, do you have to talk about white people so much? Right. Like, do you have to talk about race so much? Like, can you talk about other things? And first of all, it's like, I was talking about other things, but when when that is something that stands out because it's not something people do, it feels like it's the whole thing. Now I, I think my mom sees not only the range of stuff I do, which I've also worked on, to be fair, mm-hmm. like trying to add more parts of my personality, but she sees that stuff and she's like, you shouldn't shy away and mm. you should be proud of the fact that you say things other people can't say or other people need to hear. You know, because of that, you're hailed by The New York Times as one of the most exciting political comics. What do you think of that label? Does it like cost you in some way in your career? good for marketing you know (laughs) it's good for marketing because it gives you a clear thing but outside of that you know i don't i don't really see myself as political like i talk about things that are political at times but like the real issue is like what do we define as political do you know Mm. what i mean like that's the other thing like is if me talking about reality and about race is political (laughs) then is it it's not so just the status quo is you know that's not political like i feel like every choice we make especially in the public eye whether the choices you make or don't make are all political choices, right? They all have to do with what impact you're making and what you benefit, you know, like what what do you get for not saying certain things? Or what do you get for for saying certain things? I mean, those are all like part of it. And I think it's a political decision not to talk about racism. 
Because if you talk about racism, fewer people may like you or that might turn a few people away and not buy tickets or whatever. And you're also reinforcing the idea of we're happy, everything's good. And when you actually talk about real stuff and you're 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 real about it and you don't you don't mince words and not to say you can't be funny at the same time. But when right. you decided to, you know, to be, quote unquote, angry, that's seen as political. And I'm like, I don't I don't know if that's political. That's just me sharing reality. So right. when another comic yells about stuff that happened during their day at the, you know, I had this thing happen at the DMV and man, like, what's the deal with this or that? And they're saying it with the same level of passion I'm saying it with. Right. They're either seen as passionate full of passion or or just they're being absurd but like when i talk with passion about things i care about that scene is angry how come they're not seen as angry they're yelling too i want to get your take on a comedy bit that's uh been talked about as offensive or or even racist a few days after rishi sunak was elected britain's prime minister Ronnie Chang came on The Daily Show and said this. I know everyone is really excited that this is the first Asian prime minister, but let's be clear, Indians are not Asian, okay? Okay? They're still people, great people. They're just not Asian people, okay? What do you think about what he had to say? I mean, I don't think it's it's racist because the terms themselves are kind of forced on us to begin with. Mm. So it's more like Ronnie, first of all, Ronnie's from Malaysia and he started in Australia and he, he knows first of all in the UK and he knows this Asian people are South Asians. Like when you say Asian in the UK, nobody thinks of East Asians. Mm. They think of people, you know, like me. So he knows that term is changes from place to place. And it's I don't know. It was an interesting decision. I'm curious. <laughs> I know sometimes he plays like a like his character is, is a bit of a jerk, and that's mm. kind of the the nature of his persona as well. It's a part of me thinks that like I wasn't really annoyed or offended by because it it's like I struggle with the idea of like do we really fit into the larger mm. umbrella to begin sure, with? Like, sure. I get it for political reasons, but how many times have I gone to Asian American events where there's one brown person and some right. samosas to represent us? And I'm <laughs> like the term Asian. Like I appreciate being in that larger umbrella you know right. as a political term but like geographically it's incorrect like we fit in in asia do i call myself asian american no i don't i right. call myself south asian right. or i call myself any american so if he said we weren't south asian if he said we weren't american that's a different thing right and he also knows that's arbitrary from place to place but i'm not like what am i, what am I like offended by it's it's not like i felt complete ownership in that to begin with I mean, speaking of like how society sees us, there are a handful of states that you haven't performed in, states like Alabama, Arkansas, et cetera. Is this a conscious choice for you? You go where the people want to see you. You know what I mean? Where the numbers are. Sure, there's this desire of I'd love to play all 50 states, but that's more of like a quirky little comedic thing that I'd like to do. But mm. I go where people want me. Like, I'm not interested in going to a place and performing for 12 people who don't know who I am and have no interest. Like if I'm going to be traveling and traveling is brutal. And I spent most of my thirties and a good chunk of my twenties away from my friends and family, Mm. it better be worth it. It's not like, you know, I'm afraid to go. I'm not going to go. It's like, do they want me there? Do people want me to perform there? Because if there's an audience, I'll go. You know, it seems like we see these videos these days of people 
getting like more physical in their heckling or just more relentless? Like, have you experienced that? I mean, I've experienced that shit before this whole, I mean, mm-hmm. people are saying since the whole Chris Rock, Will mm-hmm. Smith thing, I'm a person of color talking about white people on the <laughs> road. Like some of this shit isn't new for me. Mm-hmm. I've had people thrown out of shows who have stood up and wanted to fight, wow. escorted out. Like this is, and this is before the Apu documentary when people really start to hate me. You know, I didn't get the worst of it. It's not like what black comics got in the 50s, 60s and 70s, right. but I certainly like even in the late 90s, early 2000s, really like. And, and mid 2000s, I'm like, people don't want to see me say what I have to say. You know, even people on, on the left, you know, like will say, like, isn't it isn't it right? Like if someone's saying something messed up on stage for you to go on stage and to confront them and to and I'm like, no, it's not. And I think it surprises people. And I hear that, but aren't you an activist? I'm like, first of all, I don't identify as an activist. But secondly, as an artist, let me tell you that there are more times when you allow for such behavior where marginalized people are going to take the brunt of it. And that's not a good precedent to set. I want to turn to your documentary, The Problem with a Pool. It came out in 2017, and you're still getting angry comments about it. Why do you think it still hits a nerve? Well, it's interesting. I think, one, it feeds into the larger discussion of political correctness. Mm -hmm. And you're ruining, you know, this is part of what's ruining everything in America. And people can't just enjoy things and let people, you know. And so even if you're not a huge Simpsons fan or you haven't seen it in a decade, you'll go there for that. It's like... Have you even seen the show? You hate me, but you haven't even seen the show in a long time. Yeah. But yeah. to be honest, the majority of the stuff I get now isn't even from the U.S. It's it's wow. from like South America and Latin America, mm. and it's it's really interesting. First of all, to get hate mail or death threats in Spanish or Portuguese because wow. to, to Google Translate yeah, why yeah. people hate you is is fascinating. <laughs> but like, Gosh. but it's also you know first of all I don't know how that character is depicted there. Is it dubbed over? Oh, um, is it is it wow. Is there a context for, for Indian people? It's a different country, yeah. different immigration, has different climate, different colonial history. How is it even read there? So th- at that point, it's just somebody is destroying the show we like. So it, it, it's annoying to still get it every week, Gosh. but like <laughs> multiple times still. And I'm like, it's been so Jeez. long. That thing came up five years ago. You know, one of our colleagues, Hina Srivastava, remembers her dad bringing home an Apu pen when she was a kid. And when you click the pen, Apu would say phrases like, honey, I am in my home. Welcome to the Quickie Mart. And thank you. Come again. And her dad got this as a gag gift from a coworker. Hina and her sister, you know, thought that it was funny as kids. But here's what her parents had to say about it. I talked to the person who gave it to me and I sort of explained to her that it was not something that I find very funny, but it is interesting. So you actually talked to this person about it? Yeah, and, yeah. And uh-huh. she understood because she's Hispanic and she has seen that within her culture also a lot of fun being made of uh, uh, Latino culture and how people talk and about different language and stuff. I don't think I ever watched um, the show Simpsons just because of the pen, <laughs> because I just found the pen was like, okay, <laughs> like, you know, it wasn't necessarily an appealing kind of a character. I think the if the funniest part of a character is its accent, then there's really not much to the character. What's your reaction to hearing that? Should have interviewed them in the documentary, which I knew they existed. <laughs> no, that's that's right. You know, for my folks, like, you know, I talk about that in the documentary, they talk about it, and we've talked about it. It's like, they weren't really offended by it, because who cares? Their struggle was like, I got to make things work mm. here. And 
there isn't the same ownership. And to them, it's like, well, it does affect my kids, you know? And, and there's still a sense of, well, you're more entitled to this than than I am, which I disagree with because mm. you've, you've been in this country longer, first of all. And secondly, that's irrelevant. You've contributed to society in a billion different ways and you're a human being and you deserve a certain amount of respect. And that character, to me, it wasn't made for us. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't made for us to enjoy. Yeah. It was made for others to to laugh at us. And you know, I've said that before. If the accent is not there, how many of Apu's jokes are funny? Right, Some of them are right. still funny, but how much of this is just that voice makes you laugh? Mm-hmm. And you can't take away from that. And I think what her parents said is exactly how I feel about mm-hmm. it. And it's really cool to hear that. And and yeah, I think the fact that's a gag gift. I mean, to me, like, honey, I'm in my home needs an accent <laughs> yeah. to make funny, yeah, right? And yeah. so you're saying that this character is more complicated. You're saying that this character, like we're misunderstanding Mm -hmm. it and people are overly offensive. Yet when you sell the product, it's funny because he has a funny voice and isolated. It's funny. Right. Yeah. Like, come on, why are we (laughs) pretending? Well, I, the most important question that I have about the documentary is that in your doc, you interview Surgeon General Vivek Murthy. And I love, <laughs> I say it like that because I find him very sexy. Yeah, has a huge crush. <laughs> and I would like to talk to him, but I don't know how he'd feel about uh, being on a sexy Asians <laughs> podcast. Did you find him <laughs> sexy? And can you introduce us? <laughs> I didn't find him sexy. He, he felt like a cousin or an um, uncle or a family. Like, he's a Surgeon General now, so I, wa- like, I wonder how receptive he'd be at this moment as a Surgeon General. <laughs> but sexy <laughs> but i think at an, maybe at another time maybe he'd be willing to to do something like this i think he's really approachable and for him he's all about going into communities and educating people that's all stuff that esther finds very sexy mm, about him all as sexy well. we have to mention um your cameo in the recent episode of uh south side on hbo yeah. <laughs> means so much to us in yes, chicago uh, you play a dj at a retirement party tell us how that happened I love Bashir and Diallo, who created that show as well as Sherman's Showcase. I've known those dudes for a really long time. It was so fun. And the two of them are are brilliant. And that Mm -hmm. set is just fire. It's such a fun set to just be in. It was was even more fun than I imagined. I knew it was going to be fun. But it was such a like family, people yelling out ideas, very collaborative. Love it. It, It's such a – the writers, the other actors, the the team. It's just wonderful. Wonderful. Will the DJ make a reappearance? That is not my call. Um, <laughs> I'm hoping that shirt I wore never makes oh. a reappearance. <laughs> I, that, that, that shirt was like perfect for yes. the character. Hated, I don't know, so, there was a shirt that was a lot looser, and I'm like, I'd like to wear this. So like, well, we'd just like to see you wearing the other one. I'm like, <laughs> All right, don't take that, it off. That's that's what you're going out in. <laughs> I know. That's absolutely, it's like, oh, the tighter one that I feel less comfortable in? Yep, that's the comedy choice. They yeah. made the comedy choice. Yeah. Before we wrap up, we want to play a game we call Extra Credit, where we ask you random questions. First, uh, which Indian mango do you like the best, and what's the best way to eat it? Oh, my God. It's hard. Like, I got crap for saying Alfonso in my special, <laughs> which, by the way, is incredible. But the Benganapalli mango, which is big in uh, like in our part of South India, is, is incredible. How I like to eat it is I like my mom to cut them up into pieces. Uh, but when I'm on my own, uh, I like to cut a, a piece off and just go nuts. <laughs> just like nobody watching, mango all over my face and hands and mouth, and I'm, I'm just like no order to it. Just go nuts. First Asian crush in entertainment. Oh, that's such a good question. I wonder if it was, does it count if it was like a 
Bollywood actors? Sure. Yeah, yeah that counts. Maybe Karina Kapoor. Mm, okay. Or was it Karishma Kapoor? Actually, I think I had crushes on both Kapoor's, Kapoor sisters. Um, what's better, older or younger sibling? I mean, I'm older, so I think younger is probably better. Oh, really? Okay. Because the older brother has all his response. The older sibling has to look out and everything. The younger sibling can do whatever they want. <laughs> Who would you rather be stranded on an island with, Hank Azaria or Hank Hill? Oh, Hank Hill. <laughs> not to, I mean, and I've met Hank Azaria, and yeah. it's not, nothing against Hank, but just... You know, the idea of a cartoon character come to life is pretty fast. <laughs> For you, shoes on or off in your house? Shoes off. That's why I remember doing a show in Vancouver once as part of a festival. And some venues do this. They put like a rug on stage just to add a little color to it. And I get there, and I'm like, what the, what am I, and so I took my <laughs> shoes off before I started my stand-up set. I'm like, you expect me to walk on this rug with my shoes and do stand-up? In one sentence, Harry, why pickleball? Well, first of all, it's hard to say why pickleball, considering I just tore calf muscles and <laughs> not able to walk right now. But it's more athletic and more intense than ping pong. It's less aggressive than tennis. And when I played, I've played with a wide range of humanity of different ages and ethnic groups. And, you know, I've, I've played with 14-year-olds and 70-year-olds <laughs> in the same space. And I think that's it's rare that you have something that unites that many people. Well, that's it. You can catch Hari Kondabolu at various stand-up shows around the country and maybe a pickleball court near you. Hari, thanks so much and keep it sexy. Thank you. Yay. And I have, I, have a, I have a new stand-up special coming out in the spring. I can't wait for people to see it. I think it, it definitely is. There's artistic growth there, and I'm excited for people to see it. Awesome. We're excited for that. Thank you again. As we chronicle the many people who make up sexy Asian America, we want to hear from you. And to be clear, we're talking about a wide interpretation of sexy. So who's a sexy Asian we should have on the show next and why? Record yourself. Email us a voice memo at shoesoff at wbez.org. We want all the tips. Shoes Off is a production of WBEZ Chicago. This episode was produced by Susie An, Stephanie Kim, and me, Esther Yunji Kang, with help from Hina Srivastava. Our executive producer is Brandon Banazak. And if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to like and subscribe. And leave us a five-star rating. It'll help us reach more people and bring you more conversations with sexy Asians. We'll see you next time. Stay sexy. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.